0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: This is Vent Weekly. I'm Amelia. COVID-19 has become a big part of our lives so quickly, and I can understand why it's so overwhelming for so many of us. So, to ease your minds, we've launched a new mini-series of bonus episodes on Vent Weekly called COVID-19 Fact-Checkers. If you're tired with COVID-19 already, this mini-series might not be for you. But don't worry, we'll still be releasing our regular, non corona specific episodes every Wednesday. But if you do have questions or anxieties around COVID-19 that you want talked about, we've got you. This series, we're getting you your answers.
2: Hey, it's Sabrina here, one of the big questions I had regarding COVID-19 was why a large amount of Black and Asian minorities are being affected and dying from this virus. As an ethnic minority myself, this is definitely something that worries me. I would love to know if it's because we are more medically prone or maybe other factors such as institutionalized racism. And does this also explain why Brent has many cases, as I know a lot of Brent residents are ethnic minorities? Understandably, I'm very worried and would love to get some answers.
1: So, today I'm joined by Sabrina Tarpa, who you just heard there and who might be a familiar voice for all you regular event weekly listeners. I'm also joined by Professor Nish Chattervedi from University College London. She's an epidemiologist with a particular interest in ethnicity and ageing. And finally, Lyle Liverpool, a science journalist who's written for The Guardian and New Scientist, among others. Could you guys all introduce yourselves and say a bit more about who you are and what you do?
0: So I'm Nish Chatavadi, As you said, I'm a clinical epidemiologist, and the study of epidemiology is about understanding disease distribution in time, place and person. It's asking the question, when you get sick, why this, why me, why now?
1: Wow, that sounds so interesting. We'll definitely come back to that in a bit. Anyone else want to introduce yourself?
3: So I'm Layal. I'm a science journalist. Uh, I write about a lot of different science topics, uh, from technology and space to health and the environment. Before moving into journalism, I worked as a scientific researcher, and I recently wrote an article for New Scientist looking at the topic that we're going to be talking about today. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs>
2: that's, yeah, that's intense. And
3: Saprina, do you want to go next? Um,
2: this is so strange for me. Yes. Um, I'm Sabrina. Obviously, some of you may have heard of me already. I'm on the Vet Weekly podcast. But I'm joining Amelia on this one because this is something that I really wanted to speak about and something that me and Amelia have already spoken about. I know we have a lot of questions. I have my own speculations, so that's yeah. why I want to ask questions about that and mm. see if my speculations are maybe just really far-fetched or <laughs> they could have some correlation.
1: What kind of things were you speculating about before we asked, the professional was like...
2: Yeah, so obviously I've seen the medical stuff, like um, ethnic minorities are more likely to have high blood pressure, mm-hmm. diabetes, which is, again, something I was confused about because I was like, how is that just like ethnic minorities and how does that work? Exactly. So I was definitely interested about that. Another thing that I did want to get into, institutionalised racism and how mm-hmm. maybe that could be embedded in the medical system... So I definitely wanted to get into that and then how like I know loads of frontline workers tend to be ethnic minorities as well and, and how that exactly. plays a part. But that's mainly the bulk of the research and what I found.
1: Okay, so let's actually go into like this stats of it. out How severely are people from black and Asian backgrounds being affected?
3: So the latest figures from the intensive care, national audit and research centre suggest that about 34% of critically ill COVID-19 patients in England, Wales and Northern Ireland are from black, Asian or other minority ethnic backgrounds. But ethnic minorities account for only about 14% 14% of the, the population of England and Wales for example. Wow. So there's there's a clear like overrepresentation of ethnic groups in COVID-19 like severe cases. And I think there was an article in BBC looking at London specifically. Uh, I think black people in London are about 13% of the population and 16% of deaths. So there's that overrepresentation again. So this is a really important issue and I'm I'm really happy that Saprina uh, has brought this up. Dominic Raab, um, Sky Analysis has found that 70% of frontline health and social care staff who died from coronavirus were from a non-white, a BAME background. Now, people in that community are very worried. I do feel
1: like a lot of people have said that this virus doesn't discriminate in terms of race.
3: Uh, frankly, this uh, coronavirus doesn't discriminate, but... But I have, have a feeling that
1: follow- it does. Yeah. Nish, what do you think about that?
0: So I think it's a story of inequalities. It's people who are socioeconomically unequal or have a greater burden of other diseases. The virus has not affected the whole of the country equally, like London, for example. Uh, A quarter of all deaths have come from London. Mm. And pre-COVID... 10% of all deaths would come from London. So London has disproportionately contributed, and as Lyle said, there's uh, a greater proportion of people from ethnic minority groups in London. I'd also like to say, Amelia, that there is a danger when people talk about this, of lumping all ethnic groups as one bunch. (laughs) Whatever we're gonna say applies to everyone equally. Some groups are worse off than others. The black Caribbean population seem to be particularly affected And people of Indian, Asian origin, perhaps less affected in the general population. But then when you look at healthcare workers, the story is a little bit different. Mm. On the other hand, and it's something that hasn't been discussed so much, is that 90% of all deaths occur in people aged over 60. Our ethnic minority groups generally, not across the spectrum, but generally are younger. So actually, if there's so few older folk in ethnic minority groups, you'd expect to see fewer, not more deaths
1: no i think this is so interesting it's also kind of heartbreaking as well that it seems to be our communities that are the ones who are suffering the most mm-hmm. i've seen a lot of stuff on social media just from people on like twitter um that's the app that i mainly use and there was a black guy talking about like the actual healthcare workers that they've been like in communication with like yes. if a family member's been on well who said only send your mum to hospital if she turns blue or if you know her skin color changes but she's a, a black woman, so she can't turn blue. Yeah, exactly. It seems like that. And I think I've seen a lot of um, comments on Twitter where people have actually lost family members due to not having the help that they need. Like, how do you guys feel about that?
3: It's really important when we talk about this issue that we remember that there is a system of advantage based on race, you know, for historical reasons in this country. And I think we have to take this into account when we look at these differential impacts that we're seeing, Symptoms relating to skin, for example, can appear very differently in people with darker skin. The healthcare system, the training that people receive might be a little bit biased just because there are are many white people in Britain and clinicians might be used to seeing conditions on people who look different Mm -hmm. and might be missing things. So I think there are a number of factors that could be contributing to this. Yeah,
1: because it also seems like when a lot of... Black and Asian people are being diagnosed. They're already in a very critical condition. Mm -hmm. People within the white community have, like, lesser symptoms or, like, they're kind of being hospitalised sooner. What do you think about that, Sabrina?
2: There was another story as well of a black male. I don't know if you heard about him. His name's Thomas Harvey, and he was actually an NHS worker, and he was really sick for, I think, two weeks, and his wife kept calling the ambulance, and, bless him, he died in his house, which is like such a horrible thing to experience. He expressed to my mum
1: that they had a lack of PPE um, and that um, they had flimsy aprons and just flimsy um, gloves.
3: Um, It was a case of that he just didn't feel protected and he didn't feel safe on the ward.
2: And I think this just goes back to the fact that frontline workers aren't getting the right PPE either. They're letting these people just die in vain. We're going to look back at this and just think, like, we let like the government let this happen.
1: Yeah, I know. I don't think everyone's kind of caught on to actually what's going on and how severe it is. The amount of minority ethnic frontline workers who have died. Do you feel as though... I'll direct this to Nish as well. Do you feel as though there's actually, like, a mistreatment of black and ethnic minority workers in the NHS? Is that something that you have, like, heard about or has been documented?
0: For sure, as I think we've all said, some of these groups at least are overrepresented in the workforce, but not to the extent that would account for these excess deaths. I think something that is worth emphasizing here is that people who have pre-existing chronic diseases like high blood pressure and diabetes and heart disease, Mm. we know are at higher risk. So when we're talking about healthcare workers who are relatively young, they're obviously of working age, These people probably already have some evidence of subclinical disease, much more so than their white counterparts. Hypertension, for example, a big problem in people of black African descent, actually starts much earlier, a good ten years earlier, uh, in that population oh, and right. okay. diabetes which affects both Asian and uh, African Caribbeans mm. very much higher than than in whites it's about three or four fold yeah. higher so that also starts about ten years earlier mm. so why is that yes
3: that's a good question I'll
0: come back <laughs> to that in a minute because I want to make a point about age oh, okay, cool. but I will come back to your point yeah. Sabrina. so when we're talking about healthcare workers they're actually at higher risk because of subclinical disease And I was hearing about one NHS trust which Mm. is, according its ethnic minority workers, as sort of shielded individuals. In other words, they see these folk at much higher risk and are offering them shielding. Um, Sabrina, you asked good points. Why is it that these conditions occur Mm. at a much younger age? And the short answer is nobody knows. Oh my God. Um, And we've been trying to find out uh, an answer to that question. For, for many, many years. Mm. And at the moment, all I can say is that it seems to be a combination of genes and environments. Uh, say we talk about high blood pressure, an environment where there's a lot of salt in the diet, energy dense foods, and so on, that might trigger those genes uh, to spark um, I, and I've... increase your risk of disease. And I think we shouldn't ignore um, the impact of uh, socioeconomic status, of deprivation. Of overcrowding, of being able to socially distance effectively, that is a big issue. and I, I wouldn't want us to ignore socioeconomic status, inequalities as part of the explanation as well. yeah,
1: that's true because I think about a lot of um people who you know literally cannot afford to be without work, who tend yeah. to live in. Yeah areas that are of a lower socioeconomic like background and stuff like that and those tend to be dominated by black and asian demographics even a friend of mine is a key worker as well that works in a warehouse and the majority of people that work there are just black and asian Mm -hmm. and so when i think about times like this that they're literally incapable of social distancing Mm -hmm. um, because of their jobs and because they need to provide So they're already then at risk which is just awful.
3: I, I agree with everything. Like I, I have seen a lot of discussion about um, black Asian minority ethnic groups being mm-hmm. genetically predisposed to certain conditions that might put them at a higher risk of severe COVID-19. And obviously I'm not a geneticist, but I would definitely say that while genetic factors might play a role here, mm. I think it is important as, as Nish said, to look at the bigger picture, like socioeconomic status, less ability to work from home, exposure to air pollution, unconscious bias, discrimination, so all mm-hmm. the things we've been talking about. And I think that those things will interact in a, in a complicated way um, to produce the, the effect that we're seeing. And Just
0: to add to, to that, people rather lazily talk about genes as the explanation. And ethnicity is not biology. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's a very poor proxy for that. So exactly. some genes may be more frequent in some groups more than others. But it's not to say that everyone who is black has got this gene mm-hmm. that predisposes them to this disease yeah and and i think lyle's saying the same thing too that let's get away from that there are a whole load of other factors that we can deal with immediately yeah
3: yeah it's it's also just saying something is just due to genes kind of excuses uh, us yeah, doesn't it yeah it's like oh well you you were born like that and unfortunately. We can't change there's nothing it, yeah. you can do then right Exactly. Yeah. and by looking at this and discussing this and looking at the reasons why we can actually maybe do something to help
1: Okay, so I actually want to go on to like talk about our borough, which is Brent. I want to start with um, Layao and just ask you basically what are we seeing in Brent in, in regards to coronavirus?
3: Yeah, so one thing I guess like that's probably important to mention is like data suggests that Brent is within 15% of the most deprived local authorities in the country. And I think that is going to be like an important factor. Yeah. There's, there's lots of evidence that people who are poor or deprived in other ways tend to have worse overall health, um, as we've talked about. Yeah. And I think Brent also has, uh, has significant uh, diabetes, mm. which we also discussed, uh, which is a risk factor for, for COVID severity.
1: Yeah, just going on to Nish as well. As Lyle said, Brent's
0: one of the most deprived parts of the country and deprivation has a huge impact on health. So people living in the most deprived parts of the country like Brent have about three and a half times more cardiovascular disease than the most affluent part of the country. So that's not trivial.
1: Yeah, that is huge. That's a huge amount more. And life
0: expectancy is, what, 10 to 15 years less in brent than it is in the more affluent parts of the country wow so again coming back to that point i was trying to make about socioeconomic status
2: it's a really powerful risk factor for poor health
1: saprina are you feeling like having heard what and i have had to say
2: um obviously i kind of already like knew that brent was like severely affected by this and it's nice to know like the details about it, because yeah. the thing is, when you live in Brent, like you don't feel the statistics, you don't really know, like, oh my God, this is our reality, until you like look at the statistics and you see, oh my God, like, yeah. So I think it makes me more worried for like, obviously my my dad, because like, my dad has had uh, um, a mini heart attack before, but I don't know why he feels like he's invincible and he's still been going out, oh he's still be, con- and he feels like, ah, oh, this this can never touch him kind of thing, when he's one of those vulnerable people. So um, I'm defi- definitely going to tell this to my dad about Brent and how, yeah. like, you know, he needs to be careful.
1: No, get him to listen to the podcast. <laughs> no,
2: definitely. But then, like, I'm not surprised, but uh, of course I am worried. But I feel like it's not really proactive to be worried. How would we go forward from this? Like, what could we do? Because it's not like I'm going to move out of Brent. and and Because, yeah, exactly. like, we live here. So how do we kind of tackle this issue if, if we can.
1: Mm, yeah, guys, I'm interested to hear what you think about that.
2: I was just
3: going to say that, Sabrina, I think you're already doing a lot to help, but mm-hmm. just the fact that you've brought up this topic, having the discussion is, like, is a big starting point because you can't really fix anything if you don't know what the problem exactly. is. Yeah. There's more that we can do than, than we might think. Even speaking with your relatives, like as you've been talking to your dad, and I'm the same with like my parents and my older relatives especially, trying to to educate people as much yeah. as we can. And we need more data, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Not just kind of lumping all ethnic minorities together, but really looking at which groups are being affected and how we might be able to help them.
1: So in terms of actually collecting more data, there are actually ways I've heard of um, and actually done myself. For example, there is like a COVID-19 like symptom tracker. It's like an app. So you don't feel like obligated, but if you can contribute, then I would.
0: The more information we can have, the better. So the more people that can contribute to research by offering their data, the more we'll know about it the better we'll be able to deal with it as lyle's saying we need a lot more information about who's at risk
3: yeah and more diversity of people who take part is also really valuable right so <laughs> that's really important as well um nish what about you do you have like, any
1: additional solutions other than like just publicity basically on the topic
0: it, 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 publicity is a very powerful tool mm-hmm. um because of the outcry around the um, ethnic minority deaths there's an inquiry So don't um, downplay the importance of discussion, of raising the issues you've done in this podcast. Mm -hmm. And recognising folk are at risk and offering protection is a solution, it's a way forward and if we recognize that certain folk are particularly vulnerable then they should be prioritized when a vaccination comes through
1: yeah no i definitely agree i feel like we're doing a good thing here by having these discussions and particularly in brent
2: oh 100% because
1: it's our borough that's actually being hit really hard yeah. and i remember seeing the numbers at first and i was like oh my god like it just it's very close to home do you guys have any final thoughts and like maybe lessons we could learn going forward when it comes to tackling coronavirus within minority ethnic communities Uh,
3: i i mean i would have to say that i think when all these figures started coming out it wasn't particularly surprising to me i think that this coronavirus pandemic is kind of putting a spotlight on inequalities that were already in our society. Yeah. They're already there. And I think sometimes we forget that healthcare is part of our society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all the racial bias and discrimination that exists in society in the UK, it will also impact healthcare and impact everything. And I think a pandemic or any kind of natural disaster will really bring out yeah. these kind of weaknesses in society. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that
1: these issues were already existing. But a global pandemic definitely brings to light the neglect of minority ethnic communities, 100% niche. So I think
0: it's interesting to draw a parallel between this and the financial crash in 2008. That Mm. impacted the economy and we felt it for sure. But this has impacted us an awful lot more. And one of the things that I hope will come out of it is a clear recognition of the importance of inequalities. Mm. And when COVID goes away, this story will still remain that people who are disadvantaged in some way are at greater risk of some conditions. Mm. So I'm hoping that one of the positives that I hope will come out of this is that recognition. And that will play through into government policies
1: and communities and yeah. how we live our lives. Yeah, hope the same as well. And Sabrina?
2: Um, I guess my more final thoughts is I'm happy that like, you guys clarified my speculations and my research. I'm glad to know that I'm not going crazy and this does actually exist. It's now controlling i feel like my anxiety about the issue yeah and it's different feeling anxiety for yourself and feeling anxiety for your family members i think that's more Mm -hmm. like my issue and to understand that it's okay to have anxiety about this issue especially like being from brent as well but um yeah i just hope that obviously i know that we're past the peak but just hope that even when this is over, this discussion is not over and we still continue to, Absolutely. like like you said, have more research and put more into it. Because I feel like the government only cares now because it's happening now. Mm-hmm. And then we'll probably just push it to the side after, which I definitely don't want to happen. So, yeah. yeah, that's how I feel.
1: No, I really like what you said there. Like, even though this will be over, like the discussion doesn't end. I think that's a great way to kind of close this session as well. But yeah, I'm really appreciative of all you guys and your opinions and your facts, um, especially like to do with our community. I think that we've really opened up a great dialogue. And I think that whilst this pandemic is really inconvenient and quite sad actually, um, it also is good because it allows us to then be educated further on what we can do. So thank you guys all so much for like joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Enjoyed the discussion. Thank, thank you. Thank
3: you. Thanks. Thanks to all of you.
1: Thank you for listening to Vent Weekly, bonus COVID-19 fact checkers. I've been Amelia. Thanks to Sabrina, Nish and Lyal for joining me. This episode was produced by Rose Dilarabiti with help from the VENT production team, Jess Lawson, Lucas Fothergill and Mawid Majid. VENT is a collaboration between VICE and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020.